Well, once again, good evening to our Wednesday evening Bible study slot. And we are busy with a study in John's first letter, 1 John, and uh, continuing this evening in the second chapter. But uh, please uh, bow your heads, pray with me, and then we will continue from there on. Dear Father, help us this evening, we pray, in our meditation on this passage. And as we do so, may we be mindful of who you are and, Lord, your uh, compassion and interest in us as your children. Remember the psalmist's words that you have counted our tossings. You have caught our tears in your bottle. And, Lord, are they not uh, on your record? And so, Lord, nothing hidden from you. You know our struggles. You know, Lord, when we are doubting uh, anything at all that... Uh, we're discovering or going on in our lives. And so tonight, Lord, as we turn to the Word, I pray that your Word would minister to us and really be an encouragement, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in 1 John chapter 2 and uh, reaching a a part of the passage tonight, uh, which almost seems like a a parenthesis that that John inserts in in the discourse of, of the letter. And so it's 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up from verse 12, where he he writes, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I do want to try and bring something of the context of where we have come from and and where we are going, and and then to focus in on this uh, parenthesis that uh, John brings in on, on the letter. And I thought to introduce the study tonight to think about the many, many different groups uh, that there are that uh, sometimes even include themselves under the Christian uh, banner and uh, uh, religious groups, uh, philosophical groups and and people that maintain that they uh, have a right standing and a right relationship with God. And the one in particular that I just use an example tonight is the Church of Scientology. And already there seems to be a contradiction over there, the Church of Scientology. But the point uh, I want to raise tonight is I found uh, something on the internet saying that the Church of Scientology in South Africa is booming. They're doing very, very well. So much so that I read that in Johannesburg they were able to purchase a particular site known as the Kyalami Castle, and this Kailami Castle to become their uh, their home, uh, their particular venue. Uh, no need for them to go across either to United States or, or to Australia, to Denmark or to England for what they would call higher spiritual progress. This can all now be uh, carried out at the Kailami Castle. Now, my point that I'm trying to make is to be able to purchase that kind of site, that kind of venue. They need to have resources. They need to have people. 
So there are many people, there's a huge growth, I understand, that has taken place uh, amongst Scientologists, the Church of Scientology here in South Africa. Many people have been joining this movement, and it was started, I believe, some 50 years ago in South Africa. So they have lots of money, and they have lots of people. My question is therefore this. Can we assume that this movement or any movement for that matter who has accumulated lots of followers, lots of people and has lots of resources and lots of money, can we assume that they therefore are a legitimate church and that God is at work in them, that there has been a reconciliation between them as individuals and God, that they know God, the theme of of 1 John. And so really the question is, can we assess, can we know whether they are true Christians or not? Or Scientologists, uh, those who've been born again of the Spirit of God. Well, according to John and where we've been in John's first letter, we must never assume that professions of faith are true, that they are accurate, that they are a true assessment. Every profession of faith needs to be tested, whether it be in the Church of Scientology or whether it be at the Central Baptist Church of Pretoria. And so my first point again tonight is I just want to uh, re-review and, and emphasize that all professions of faith must be put to the test. I need to test my profession of faith, and I would encourage you to do the same, to see whether you are in the faith or not. Now, we have been looking at some of these objective tests that John has uh, identified and, and explained to us already in, in this letter, uh, measurable tests that we can assess ourselves against. They, they're objective, they're not subjective, so they're far more accurate. It's, it's not uh, left to some kind of subjective assessment on the basis of, of some kind of feeling. And so even with the Church of Scientology or the Mormon Church or the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and Baptists and Methodists and, and anybody who professes to be part of the church, anybody that professes to know God, the claim of spirituality must be put to the test. And so John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, the man who says, I know him. All right, so there's the broad category. Any man, any woman, any child that says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So that, that was the first test that we considered just some weeks ago, that every one of us who profess uh, to be Christians, to know God, we need to check for a godly lifestyle. We need to assess and see whether there is some kind of conformity, some kind of submission, at least in some measure, to the commands of God. Now again, we need to take a step back and say, well, how do we know the commands of God? Well, the commands of God are recorded for us in the scriptures. We have the record uh, of God's word from Genesis right through to Revelation, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And we have this content from God, a revelation from God containing uh, the commands of God, enabling us to say, well, do I in some measure uh, measure up, conform, 
uh, am I someone who claims to know God and also is in some measure righteous? There's some evidence of holiness. And so true believers, every single true believer submits to and obeys the commands of God. And again, I need to say that that's not perfect because we still are being sanctified. We're still on this journey of sanctification. But there must be there must be a movement. There must be a desire. There must be an inclination towards uh, in uh, towards that in the direction of conformity. So anyone says John who claims to know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So we can assess very easily on the objective basis of what has been revealed. And so we can even say there's something drastically wrong with the profession of faith that cannot be supported by accompanying evidence of obedience to God's revealed will. And so the first bit of essential evidence is that of a godly lifestyle. And so we ask the question, do Scientologists uh, do Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, do Baptists, do I, do you uh, reflect a godly lifestyle? There is a second test, and uh, not only do we check for a godly lifestyle, but we also check for loving relationships, which is the second objective test that we considered. It is the command to uh, be in a community amongst other people and have relationships with them that are not one of, 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 of division and hatred, but rather, as John says in chapter 2, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And we can apply that in the midst of our congregation, whether it be at the hill or at Arcadia. Is there somebody in the pew uh, sitting alongside of you or in front of you or behind you and there are feelings within your own, own heart of hatred toward that brother or sister or another or another, then, then you ought to sit back. I, if that was true of me, we need to sit back and say there's something wrong or there's something that could be wrong. Because professions of faith and acts and expressions of hatred are incompatible. Remember, I did say in previous weeks, you don't take one of these tests on their own. But each one of these uh, need to be brought together in a comprehensive uh, alignment, uh, checking to see, number one, uh, is there an inclination towards a godly lifestyle? Is there an inclination towards loving the brothers and, and wanting to be in fellowship with the brothers and sisters? There is a third test, and I'm just going to mention it tonight because we will get to this in, 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 in weeks ahead, where John raises and, and calls, and I've called this the doctrinal test. And in John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, he'll address that. And simply saying that content does matter. In spite of what many people say today, sadly, even in our own circles, that the content of Scripture is not that important. We just need to stick with the simple basics. That is not true. Uh, there, there, there's the need. It's, it's a measurable test to see if there's uh, an affinity and a, and a willingness to, to believe and to accept the revealed content, the truth, the revelation that God has uh, given to us. And, and so putting those three tests together, we can answer the question. We can even, uh, not only of a Scientologist, but other, others as well, 
do they pass these objective tests? Now, I've deliberately gone through this tonight because I believe as John is uh, moving through his letter and he's writing uh, to these folk, you you can know and you can know and you can know and there's an assessment, there's assessment, there's assessment. There is a sense in which one could become quite unsettled in your uh, relationship with God. And I hope in this study I've not made you feel unnecessarily unsettled. Of course, if there's no evidence of faith, then you ought to be unsettled. You ought to get back to basics and and and, and find out, well, do, do I or don't I really know God? But for many people, it's a question of they do know God, but challenge after challenge makes them feel somewhat insecure. And so what John does now, the Holy Spirit through John anticipates the fact that some people, some true Christians, may through these various tests, coming in somewhat an intense bombardment one after the other, they may be feeling a little bit off balance, a little bit insecure. And so John therefore includes this next section, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, and I've called it a parenthesis. He almost, as it were, goes on a rabbit trail. But he has an intention here. And the intention is to provide some reassurance, some confidence to those who really are believers and telling them something of the blessing that is theirs because they are believers. Which brings me therefore to my second point tonight is that God provides some needed affirmation for believers. Something that at times you need, I need, uh, because it's very easy for us to become discouraged or feel weary, uh, particularly in the context of, say, a perpetual challenge that has been uh, coming, or uh, as I said at a Bible study yesterday, that if we're in a context where there's repeated fire and brimstone and and that's all you hear week in week out or day in day out you you kind of feel like you you battered and 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 you need somebody to come with a message that would just edify you that would build you up that would encourage you in your walk with God so this parenthesis addresses those who are true believers And so you as a believer tonight, if you are feeling a little bit weary, if you are feeling a little bit discouraged, and you do feel that you just need some encouragement, listen to what John uh, says as the Holy Spirit leads him. Now remember, this is not to give false assurance, but this is to confirm the right kind of encouragement to those who are believers. Now as we read those few verses, you would have noticed different categories of people being identified, different groups of people in the church. And there are different groups, and we can put people into different categories. Uh, We can say that there are men in the church and there are women in the church. There are young people in the church and and there are older people in the church. There are middle-aged people in the church. Uh, We can speak about people at different socioeconomic uh, levels and, and, and different capacities in terms of of the gifts that they have. So so the church can be divided into many, many different uh, categories or groups of people. But what John does in this particular passage, he takes, and I'm going to present to you an interpretation that accepts that this passage is referring to three 
different groups of people within the church family. I don't believe that he's speaking literally here to uh, those of a physical age uh, in terms of younger people and uh, people who are parents and and people who are uh, middle age. I want to suggest to you that these references here, when he speaks about the young men or he speaks about children or he speaks about fathers, he really is categorizing us in the church into three categories of stages of spiritual development and maturity. There are among us, we know that, uh, within the church. Uh, those of us who have been in the church a long time, we, we, we know that there are people who are new Christians. We know that there are some of, uh, among us who have been on this road as a believer and I can think of somebody who's probably been on the road at least 80 years as part of our congregation and growing in those 80 years. So there are those who mature in faith. And then there are those who are maturing in faith. And so those are the categories I'm going to use. And, and the first one that I want to identify is he speaks to the young in faith. And to the young in faith, God says, if you're young, if you're new in the faith, Listen, listen to what God is saying to you. And I'll read verse 12. I write to you, dear children, young in the faith, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Those who are newly converted experience many instances of doubt as to whether they really are believers or not, or to be more specific, to whether, to whether their sins have really been forgiven. When somebody comes to faith, uh, that happens in the process where the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin. And they're, they're able to see, they're able to recognize and admit that, that their lives haven't been what they ought to have been. They, they see in the words of the Apostle Paul that they've fallen short of the glory of God. And they can identify instances and examples where they have fallen, where they have failed, where they have sinned against God. And then they become believers and, and there's this great delight of, 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 of this experience of being born again and, and being part of the family of God and, and, and in those early weeks even uh, recognizing, man, this is, this is wonderful and I'm enjoying it. But then as those weeks pass by, it's so easy that doubt begins to creep into the heart and mind of a young Christian. And that young Christian begins to question and begin to wonder, are those things I did really forgiven? Am I, am I really a Christian? Is it, is it possible that God could forgive those terrible things that I did do, that I have done, that, 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 that was on my record, on my charge sheet? And so John says to them, Yes, you've been born again into the family of God. You have the full right to be, call, to be calling yourself a son or a daughter of God. Your sins have been forgiven. And, and as young Christians, and let me say at this point, each one of these messages to a particular category 
has an emphasis of, an, of application to a group, but has application generally in all groups. All Christians need to hear the message, your sins have been forgiven. You've been justified by faith. There's been a, declara- a declaration by God, a forensic and legal declaration, not guilty. And, and, and we understand that on the basis of, remember what he says in that verse, if you go back to the verse, on account of his name. This is not your doing, your work, or your credit. It's Jesus that has accomplished your salvation. It's Jesus that has suffered the punishment that was due to you. And, and, and not only was your sins credited to his account, but his righteousness has been credited to your account. So young Christian and all the rest of you, you need to remember, you need to know your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. All, all of who he is can be dependent on. You need to know who he is as, as the Holy One, as the Perfect One, as, as the one who has suffered a substitutionary death on behalf of sinners, the one who is the Lamb of God who came to, to save people from their sin. And also that it brings about, because he rescued you, because salvation is of God, and because it's for the sake of his name, God gets the glory. And so we, as younger Christians, if you are a younger Christian here tonight, but even if you're an older Christian, don't forget the wonderful blessing, the fact that your sins have been forgiven. And alongside of that, alongside of that, every other blessing, you are no longer under condemnation. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the West. They don't need to plague you. They don't need to bother you. Not just the present reality, but as one of God's children, and the blessing of justification is that your sins are forgiven into the future. You have a clean slate, a clean record imputed to you. And so these benefits have been showered on you. Never forget this. Uh, and on account of his name, Jesus, the righteous one, speaks to the Father in your defense. It's a passage we've already looked at at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. And so, what a blessing. Uh, in verse 13, he adds to this category. He says, I write to you, children, because you have known the Father. Literally, we can translate that verse or those words, have come to know. In other words, God as your father, and, and, and this is, is an experience that you need to nurture, that inward witness of the Spirit, knowing that, that, that he is your father and that you are his child. And so as a new, as a young believer, forgiveness of sin. The reality of knowing God, the ongoing work of the Spirit in your life, making you aware of your relationship with the Father in heaven. It's real and it's wonderful. Now I want to move on to a, the second group. So now we, to the fathers and mothers in faith, God says. Now I'm speaking to those who we could define as a spiritual adult. Those we look up to who have been on this road a long time, but not only a long time on the road, they have given themselves uh, in submission to God. 
they faced many struggles and difficulties and they've walked with God and they've trusted God and and through and through all of these things they they have grown into maturity and looking back uh, that kind of first flush of ecstasy when they came a believer when when they uh, first received uh, forgiveness and that experience of fellowship that's a long time ago but there now has uh, uh, come a, a settled uh, a sense of, of belonging. And as fathers and those who are mature in the faith, as mothers, there's, there's a progression that has come about. And, and your experience is one of a deep, established communion with God. Your relationship with God has ripened over the years. There's a far greater appreciation for who God is and, of course, who he is, not only in the present, but he's unchanging who he has always been and who he always will be. And so we read in verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. That greater appreciation of who uh, God um, is and growing in the understanding of his different attributes and and using a different word, the different perfections of God, understanding the depth and, and, and sometimes the unfathomable nature of continuing to grow in, in that we don't uh, confine God to a particular description or box, but, but that we grow more and more as we understand what he has revealed. And, and he repeats the same sentence again in verse 14, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You have come to know over these years, the unchanging, eternal God who is forever and ever the same. And we've had a look at that more recently in the book of Exodus. And I must confess in my own experience, I was watching a video clip just the other night by R.C. Sproul speaking on uh, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and, and that uh, revelation from God, I am. And as I watched that, I thought to myself, what a wonderful privilege it is to know this God who is unlike any other uh, unchanging uh, being, whereas everything else, uh, all of us, constantly changing in, in every facet and aspect of our lives. The reality is, you're mature in the faith. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to look back and see that you know God, that you have found refuge in Him who is from everlasting to everlasting. But there's a third category. To those who are maturing in faith. And remember what I said? All of these categories, all of these issues apply to all, but with emphasis into a particular uh, group. So in between those who have just come to faith and those who are mature, there's an emphasis of what is identified here as the young men. And the analogy given over here, these young men are busily involved in the battle, in the fight of Christian living. Verse 13, second part. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Do you, get, do you get the sense of encouragement and, and reassurance? You've been fighting and you've been struggling and there's been this temptation and there's been that testing and there's been that attack. But as you look back, God has enabled you. God has been with you. You've been, over, you've been able to overcome these 
onslaughts, these attacks from the evil one. If you've been a Christian for a reasonable amount of time and you're in this progression of growth, you will know without any doubt in your experience that it's not just about uh, languishing and enjoying forgiveness. Yes, we do that. We do enjoy the wonderful fellowship with God in communion with Him. But we also know the fight. Sometimes it's with our own sinful nature, but we also know that it's a fight with the devil. Scriptures tell us that he seeks as a lion whom he wants to devour. The Bible tells us that he masquerades also as an angel of light. So the devil is relentless. Uh, Jesus, in, in those words and warning to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has sought to sift you as wheat. So this, this battle, this, this continual, you think you're just getting up on your feet, you think you're just beginning to run this race without being hindered, and there it is, the struggle, the fight, uh, understanding that you can conquer. That you have conquered. You've got to where you are because God has enabled you by his spirit on the basis of his defeat of the evil one to overcome. And so yes, the, the past forgiveness of sins is a wonderful thing. Uh, the deliverance from sin's power and the fight with the devil is something we continue with. And as we do so, as we fight this battle, we, we need to know that the devil is not supreme. It's not invincible. We need to understand that he has been conquered and that these daily struggles that we have with sin and the enemy are not going to be insurmountable. And you know why? Again, John tells us a little later in the book. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Don't ever forget that. As a maturing believer, as a believer, uh, you, you, you've been delivered and you've been born again. You've been given a new nature and the Spirit of God dwells within you. And, and, and God and Satan are not equals. God is infinite and, and, and eternal and, and all-powerful and sovereign. Satan is a creature. Verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, there's another clue there. Uh, this battle that is fought, that has been fought and there's been conquering and the battles that still need to be fought and conquering that still needs to take place, takes place in the context of those who give themselves to the word of God. The word of God being the sword of the spirit. The word of God not only being information to us and for us. Some people limit the understanding of scripture just to be information. No, no, no. It's more than information. Remember the prophet Jeremiah telling us that the word of God is like a hammer, like fire. The, hammer, the, the, the book to, of, of Hebrews, the writer there speaks about uh, the two-edged sword. And, and so the, the word of God uh, is is active. It's it's what I like to use is performative. It's it's informative and it's performative. Uh, the word of the word provides information, but it's also powerful. 
sharper than two-edged sword. Didn't the psalmist know that secret? And again, uh, one can go back to Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there's an aspect of, of the tools, of the weapons that, that God uh, gives us. And so I want to encourage you tonight. You're not wasting your time when you spend time in the scripture. If you've read the Bible once, twice, three, five, ten, I don't know how many times. Don't think it's ever done. We keep reading the scriptures. We keep going back to the Bible. We keep meditating the Bible. Sometimes we're reading broadly. Sometimes we're reading uh, in a a deep sense where we do shorter passages, shorter sections, but we concentrate more specifically on the deeper meaning. meaning. But we've got to stay in the Word of God because the Word of God will make you strong. It will build you. Uh, up and and it will enable you to have a discerning spirit so that you can know right from wrong know how you ought to obey God it will lead you into holiness also the mind of Christ uh, through the word uh, is what we can discover we also know the analogy that we're given in Psalm 1 regarding the benefit and the blessing of the word making us strong Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day and night. Now, now don't stop there. Because doing that, this is what happens. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which heals its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prosper. Now we know that when a tree is old and strong and the roots are well established in the soil, uh, wind can blow and the tree stands firm. Not so if there's just weak roots and no uh, meaningful trunk that has been developed or grown. And so uh, even going to another passage where we see in the book of Joshua, uh, do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Successful in doing the will of God. And so my conclusion tonight, uh, I hope this has been of some value uh, reassuring you, don't forget the tests, they're important and, 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 and they have their place and we do need to assess ourselves. But where there is that quiet confidence that you know you're a believer, be encouraged uh, whether it's, it, it is tonight that you've needed to hear that yes, your sins are forgiven, past, present and future for the sake of his name and on the basis of his name. You need to know that there is a struggle and you've got to where you are because God has helped you and you've been strong and and the spirit of God has given you strength and you've overcome the evil one and perhaps already there but maybe still for some of us we're going to get there that settled conviction of just knowing he is indeed your father and you are his child so affirmation of faith encouragement of faith 
won't you this evening just recognize the gracious hand of God in your life and be thankful. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word that really addresses us in so many different ways, uh, so many different needs uh, that we have. And they can be felt needs, felt needs of discouragement and just the need to be lifted up. And I do pray that this message tonight from John uh, would do that as your spirit uh, works in our lives as we contemplate your word. And I do pray for those who are particularly in need tonight, whatever their circumstances may be, maybe it is doubting uh, sins that need to be forgiven. Maybe it is a question of, of failing or having failed, but uh, forgetting, help them, uh, help them to remember that they have previously conquered with your strength. And Lord, praying for that, that great sense of uh, that inner witness of your spirit, we pray. Continue with us. Help us, Lord, day by day. We, we ask, uh, thanking you for your abundant grace. Thank you that you're the God who is uh, steady and unchanging totally dependent, uh, that we can be totally dependent on you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do have some questions for those who are meeting in Bible study uh, groups. Uh, do take a look at those questions. I think there's some good discussion and maybe a, a useful time of just encouraging one and another, uh, finding out the particular struggles that each one may have or may need to just be encouraged. So God bless you, and uh, looking forward to us meeting again on the Lord's Day. Amen.